9to5.cc. We're not working. Why should you? Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, it's me again, wasting your time. Look, if you're a fan of the show and uh, the site in general, uh, please take the time to like us on Facebook. We are number 9to5.dotcc, 9to5.cc on Facebook. And uh, also follow us on Twitter. We're at sign number 9to number 5cc on Twitter. Hey John. John, are you ready? I'm ready. John, you have to lean a little forward and, and kind of be close. Like we're, All right. we're old-timey radio guys. We are here at the historical Menger bar. We in, are. In downtown San Antonio, where this is the actual bar that Theodore Roosevelt, presidential president guy, recruited Rough Riders by, like, attracting young adventurers. So as we were starting this conversation, yes. you were kind of annoyed at me for not uh, not looking at you. Mm-hmm. So I was looking at my phone. That actually yeah. happened in 1898. 1898. So now we have the date. Theodore Roosevelt was here in 1898 <laughs> recruiting his Rough Riders. Exactly. And he would just get people in here and then get them talking and then just... Give keep, them whiskey. And give them whiskey and then eventually they would presumably join the American army and right. then fight for America. So what are we doing in San Antonio? <clears throat> we're here to visit the Alamo. We did do that. <laughs> but we also came down here for PAX South. Yeah. The uh, the smallest, I suppose. I don't know. Maybe Australia. The most intimate of the PAXs? Australia, we don't really know anything That's true. about. But we know. But who knows anything about Australia? Yeah, exactly. Really? We know Seattle's huge. We know East is huge. East is huge. And yeah. uh, we came down here for PAX South, which is a little bit smaller. Yep. Uh, we came here with, I guess, noted cosplayers from the Anatomy of Cosplay, Sam and May, mm-hmm. and uh, Pat. And then we did not do a lot of things at PAX. That's true. <laughs> did you have a good time? I, I did. I had a great time in San Antonio and... Uh, <laughs> And at PAX, I suppose. <laughs> we're talking about like we're, things to do uh, yeah. at PAX, and usually we like to go to a lot of panels, and this year, I mean, I don't think, I guess, a lot of the panels even appealed to us no. that much. Like, we looked like Sunday, there was almost nothing. They were uh, kind of all over the place. There were, mm-hmm. were like a small number that were related to indie game dev that I, yeah. I thought were going to be kind of interesting, and yeah. unfortunately, the one that I made it to got canceled. Mm-hmm. But um, the other panels seemed to be kind of all over the place, and I didn't... I don't know, maybe, I'm thinking just like in retrospect, maybe the whole experience needed like a theme to like guide the panels, because they were, they were like, you know, like if PAX South was like the game dev PAX, right. then you could focus kind of on that element? I suppose, I mean, I, I, I was, I get where you're going. Yeah. <laughs> I get where you're going with it, and I like it, but I mean, I don't necessarily say you'd have to like focus an entire PAX to, but like, like you know, like a movie festival will yeah. have like a spotlight on, like, a certain element. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, but like, so, so you could better. have, like, a group of being, like, there'll be, like, indie dev spotlights. So you'd have, like, five or six panels to be, like, this is the series. Yeah. And you could go to all those. Or you could be, like, board gaming spotlight. And then there'd be, like, five or six panels that are mm-hmm. just... So you could kind of, like, if you wanted to, like, theme your weekend. Do you want to go into the panels we did see? Uh, I guess so. I guess we could take a look at it. Well, sure. Friday morning, we uh, we started off at the... Well, you started off with the indie dev one that got canceled. That got canceled, yeah. uh, I got in line up for the Loot Crate one. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> which, I mean, like was obviously a huge, huge lineup because they were giving out a toy. Uh-huh. Which, I mean, the toy was kind of cute. It was one of those little Nintendo uh, cartridge figurines, I guess. You're a big Loot Crate fan. Yeah, yeah. I've been, yeah. Up, I've been sub-, sub to Loot Crate for like a year and a half or so. Which, okay. I, which I guess, is almost like half the time it existed. Right. Right, because they yeah. only started up three years ago. Sure. Uh, that panel was, I guess, a, um, a shocking disappointment. A shocking think. disappointment. <laughs> okay. Right. So why I, I was kind of they were like oh like we're gonna talk about like our roots and like what's next for us and, and the all history that stuff. what it's like bringing a tiny company up and becoming colossal yeah the, yeah it's like I mean like they, they said what five hundred thousand subs something like that and like, at twenty dollars we're mm-hmm. talking how many millions a month 
fucking no. Ten? Yeah. Ten million dollars a month that this company is making. After three years. That's pretty pretty successful. Yeah, exactly. There's and that's, a story there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but instead it was just, it was kind of like it ran like a great big commercial for Loot Crate. And I was like, and it was ex- it was doubly weird because like, you're kind of like, what's this space for? Like, that, yeah. that panel would be like almost excusable in a like corporate like investor convention or something sure. you know where you're like we're this is our company this is what we're doing this is how we like you know what i mean there, like, there were marketing people on stage mm-hmm. who i felt were up there giving marketing spiels yeah and not necessarily telling stories you know yeah, yeah, i felt exactly. like i was getting marketed at yeah and that's like not i mean maybe other people were there for that i was not at all there for that it was, yeah. it was kind of off-putting yeah exactly that's what i'm saying like it wouldn't I don't think it in any way would did it like make me like appreciate Loot Crate more, and I don't think yeah. it, I mean it, I don't think it sold the product even very well. No, no. like I mean like you just like it's it is what it is, and this is this is how we do it. Right, which is kind of kind of a bummer because I mean yeah, there could have been a lot more. I, I feel like there's a very 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 interesting story behind a company like this that's so colossally successful, yeah. so quickly, and we didn't get that story. And yeah, and, and yeah. specifically a geek company. Yeah, right. Like yeah, a company yeah, yeah. that buying like, for like, geeks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like we're gonna send geeky shit to guys yeah. every month and then we're going to be making 10 million dollars a month doing it in this, inside of three years right bananas yeah so anyway so that panel was kind of a bummer uh then after that we went to um the horror panel oh, yeah, with yeah. the developer of the guy who developed the pathfinder card game and the guy who i guess sort of i guess betrayal ref- at house on the hill refined betrayal and house, yeah. on the, house on on house on the hill because uh, someone else had actually dev that, right? Yeah, yeah, and then, and then he, he had, fixed like, it up. He, he turned it from, like, House on the Hill to the Betrayal at the House on the Hill. I yeah. think that's what he said. That, yeah, 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 exactly, that's it. But he, like, he tightened it up, I think, and, like, balanced it, whatever. It was mm-hmm. just, like, it was a super fiddly game in a box when he got and it, And right? he was promoing Apocrypha. Apocrypha, I yeah. guess, was the game. Yeah. This panel, we should look up that guy's name. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, renowned developer, if you, yeah. You, yeah. you you probably have heard of both of those games. And he was talking about horror and horror games, and talked about like the problem of a lot of the horror games being that of which we are both colossal fans. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. when we're talking about horror games, like obviously Arkham Horror, uh, Pandemic, uh, I guess in a way Forbidden Island, yeah. kind of. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Exactly. Like, and he, he pointed out that they're all uh, they're all solo games or they're all cooperative games, and that you kind of end up in a situation where you have someone who really understands the game mechanic is often dictating what's going on on the board. And that's a huge problem. It's, it's a huge problem because it diminishes the fun of, of everybody. You're not making a thing. Right. And Betrayal at House on the Hill like gets around that by not letting you follow somebody's orders because you have to manage your own self-interest yeah, simultaneously. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, and exactly because someone is the betrayer. Right, right. right. And I mean, and they talk about that in Pathfinder also where it's just sort of like you'll... It's not quite the same as like a ho- the horror setting, yeah. but there's still that like backstabbing kind of situation about like where the loot goes and all that. Did and you play it? Uh, I've seen it played. Okay. okay. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like it's apparently like you're sort of in a situation where like who gets the loot mm-hmm. is kind of like up like, for debate. Up for debate because it's not you don't always have exactly the same sort of stuff. And right. so this apocrypha game presumably will have some of that, <laughs> but we don't know. But we don't know because right at the end of the panel, he just suddenly. Stop talking about game design and game mechanics, and then just started showing us concept art for Apocrypha without explaining anything about the game. About the game, yeah. Um, and it was really weird because at the start he was talking about like game design theory, yeah. which was honestly fascinating. And this guy is successful and has designed good games, so like I, I really was into everything he was saying. Yeah. And then when it turned into like, here are some pictures from my game that uh, about which I will tell you nothing. It like the contrast was just so so yeah, stark. It was such a such a bummer. And like yeah. I said, and I guess I mean. Like, 
I understand there's like from a certain point of view if he doesn't want to necessarily yeah he doesn't want to spoil it reveal core mechanics and stuff but I'm right. like but you have to because I'm not going to buy this game based on the art yeah like here's what I know about Apocrypha right now yeah is that it came from the designer of Pathfinder card game and the betrayal on the mm-hmm. uh, on the hill and it's set in the world of darkness it's set in basically the world of darkness and has a thousand four hundred cards <clears throat> right and it's got some spooky artwork uh-huh. and I'm like that sounds like maybe a cool game or like a garbagey nightmare. Well, who knows? We, we <laughs> don't have because we don't know anything about it. Right. We don't know what the mechanics. And what's are. crazy? The, the the whole talk was so clearly well prepared. Like he had yeah. guests showing up all the way through it. Yeah, exactly. And and like, but didn't didn't <laughs> tell me nothing about your game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was yeah. So props to an almost cool panel. Yeah. Um, and I think that was the the other panel that I wanted to go to was another horror panel. Right. Uh, that was on Saturday, which was a similar thing where they. Where they were just talking about like horror, and I think all across, just sort of games and like mood and setting and stuff, right. not necessarily from a core game design. But we didn't go to that because instead we went to a hockey game because <laughs> we are Canadian and we're in Texas, so right. we need to go to a hockey game. We went to watch the San Antonio Rampage play against the San Jose Barracudas. It was pretty awesome. Was, I'm gonna say it. it was a great fucking game. Exactly, and I don't think there were a lot of people from PAX there. Yeah, <laughs> that was so very little interest of you, I guess, if you're listening. If I'm like, what's PAX like? But yeah, at the same hockey. time, hockey, good old yeah. hockey time. And I, I guess... Uh, I was honestly surprised. Okay, so so if for those who don't know, the San Antonio uh, Rough... Rampage. Rampage play in the same stadium as the... San Antonio Spurs. Right, which is the like NBA a huge teams. NBA team. So yeah. this was like a full-size stadium. Yeah. And it wasn't... Well, it was arena. Arena. It was certainly not full, but it was like... 50%, 40% full? Yeah, and, and the people that were there were, like... Way into it. Super into it, like, yeah. dancing on the cameras and, like, cheering for the goals and, like, trying to get little cheers going and everything. They had, like, fan cams that were happening all the time yeah, showing, yeah. like, the little people dancing. And it was just, like, nonstop people cheering going nuts. Were, it was, like, good crowd. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is super cool. Like, I was kind of, yeah. like, I was like, what's it going to be? Like, what's the hockey audience in San yeah. Antonio. And the answer is awesome. The awesome hockey audience. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and they're the uh, they're the AHL affiliate of the Colorado Avalanche. Okay. So, and then they were playing against, obviously, well, the San Jose Sharks right. affiliate, the San Jose Barracudas. So we got to watch some good hockey. And, of course, uh, I feel that because we're Montreal Canadiens fans, mm-hmm. the team that we were cheering for, which was, of course, the San Antonio Rampage, lost. Because that's what... Happens to us this season. That's what happens to our fandom right now. Right. Uh, so back to PAX. Yeah. I guess we played... Steel Battalion, which is a game from the early 2000s. Yeah, early 2000s. Why? If you haven't heard of Steel Battalion, you guys should like 100% look it up. Right. Because uh, it's an original Xbox title with a three-piece console with two joysticks and like... Three good, f- foot pedals as well. And, th- and then a, pedals, a three-pedal situation. Right. And then when the thing came out, it was 220 US dollars, which was uh, selling for the same price as the Xbox. Uh, which was just the pedals. I think the game was extra. I think it might have been a set with the yeah. game. I think it might have been 220 well, with the game. Regardless. Anyway, yeah. so this massive contraption, and it, and it's not just for show. Every button and switch is used in game. Right. The only ones that we had that weren't in game were the communications dial, but that's because they shut down X, Xbox Live. Right. But when the thing came out, like we're talking about, like I said, two joysticks, t- uh, an analog stick on the left joystick. <laughs> Uh, two like I guess weapon selector buttons on the right a, joystick, a thruster kind of like toggle that went up yeah, and down. Exactly, a gear shifter. Yeah, numerous switches for your startup sequence, right. which you had to like. Even the startup sequence, you're like, oh, it's like superfluous, but it's not 
because you've got to get fast at it because yeah. when you respawn, you have to go through your startup sequence and people can shoot and at you while you respawn. Respawning is probably the best part of talking about here because yeah. the game, uh, if, you, if you fail to eject before your mech explodes, your driver is, of course, killed and, and your character is, is deleted off of the game. Like, yeah. he is erased from the thing. So yeah. you can't come back. If, like, in a 10-minute match, if you're killed and you don't successfully eject, you don't get to keep playing. Yeah. In a you're out. In yeah. a campaign mode, if you're, like, halfway into the campaign, which presumably is super long, right. <laughs> like, it just deletes your game because you're like too bad you're yeah. dead now so this was really fucking fun yeah, yeah super cool we went back a couple times we actually wanted to get uh into the tournament on sunday we but got then distracted we all, by food exactly we ultimately yeah. were we're stuck eating on the delightful river walk here in san antonio yeah but <clears throat> yeah steel battalion so if you were to describe the game like it's not great like no. like the game is kind of like a mech warrior super slow walking you can get up to a pretty good speed with the throttle, but at that, but then at that point you're, you're gonna you're, fall over if you your turn neck too is fast. like uncontrollable. Exactly, right. like if you change angles, it's you move with your left stick, but then aim with the right stick, but then like uh, have precision aiming with the analog on the left stick again. So yeah. it's very it's very, super clunky and super slow, and I guess it does it successfully creates that like feeling of being in this gigantic machine of yeah. war that's all like super plodding like a big like, tank, but. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, that doesn't make for exactly thrilling gameplay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we also, but we did see dudes who like basically were there and were playing it the whole entire weekend, and we're right. like, man, that's a this is a long way to go for a Steel Battalion. And he's like, yeah, but since they shut down Xbox Live, yeah, this is the only way to play multiplayer Steel Battalion. Right. Because the other option, like, okay, so so the rig, we should talk about this. Yeah. To exactly. Set up this whole thing. There were we, ten we, Xboxes. Yeah, we head into the classic console yeah. uh, like section because faxes always have a, a classic console free play area where they have a bunch of like old Nintendos and all that stuff right and like all the way at the back like we saw it and I was like oh, holy shit it's that mech game from yeah. fucking the Xbox like I've always I've, I've heard about it like yeah. stuff yeah. of legend I've never even owned an Xbox but I knew about this game and 10 you, Xboxes 10 Xboxes 10 screens 10 full Steel Battalion rigs right all set up on a local presumably there plan. was a router yeah. connecting them all like this was somebody really wanted to make this game happen yeah like, and yeah. like fucking hard props to yeah I guess whoever set it up, like yeah. I don't even know who His name was Greg or something. There, there was a an enforcer, which is yeah. like a Pax uh, helper guy, who was like hanging around there, and he obviously knew the game very well. And then he was, it looked like he was just doing it all day, running ten yeah. player matches of this for anybody who wanted to hop on. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, and that, that's it. He had to like he had to run like quick tutorials for everybody because right. there's nothing. Nothing is intuitive on this giant Not mech board. Slightly. Like yeah. you're just sort of like like switching to main weapon. You're like, okay, now switch to the sniper, and then you're like, you can't. You can switch to the sniper gun, but you can't fire it because now you need to change the mode of your mech into like lock plant mode right. to like actually do it. So like, just switching to the sniper rifle doesn't act, sufficient. Doesn't actually get you into a situation <laughs> where you can use the sniper rifle because fuck you, it's a giant mech simulator. I amazing. Yeah, like, yep. I would be. I don't even know how to properly, like, I don't know who that game was made for. I don't know why it got, Super hardcore mech mech enthusiasts. (laughs) Exactly. Like, I had a great time playing it, and we, like, we talked about it certainly (laughs) a shit ton all weekend long. Uh, But, yeah, Steel Battalion. And, I mean, I guess I don't even know, like, when I think about why we're sharing this story. Uh, Yeah, who's this? Who can play it? (laughs) Nobody. But I guess guess that's that's the takeaway from this. If ever you have a chance... To play Steel Battalion. Get it, get it. Sit down and... Oh, yeah, we looked into buying a copy of this game afterwards. I think it was over $500 on eBay to get a copy of this controller. Yeah. For which you would also need to purchase an Xbox. Yeah, and also... And not be able to play online. And also the thing notoriously that the... Because I guess they made it as cheap as possible. Of course, of course. Because it's a huge 
clunkety thing that they're probably already at a giant loss on. For yeah. Like, Here's this massive controller that only is good for one game. Okay. And Let's yeah. talk about really quick the... Um... Dude, I was going to just finish on okay. Steel Battalion. Where the controller also breaks down all the time. All the time. So it happened like a, to you in the in the first game. Happen a nip. Happen a nip. Okay. Happen a nip. Yeah. Exactly. Where it's just like they had to like pop it open and like switch some springs or some shit because it's like these controllers just bust. Right. And like they knew it to the point where they had like parts on hand because they're like if we're playing Steel Battalion all weekend, Something's some of our break. controllers will bust. Just such a bummer. We did play some board games. Yes. Uh, we played I guess two newish board games. Dungeon. Uh, Welcome to the Dungeon. Welcome to the Dungeon. And King of New York, which is King of New York is an expansion of the King of Tokyo. Was it? Yep. I don't know if, was it new? I guess yeah, it was King, new because they were promoing it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. King of King of New York. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's brand, brand, brand new, yeah. but I mean, it's newer than King of Tokyo. Okay. So uh, I guess we'll hit uh, Welcome to the Dungeon yes. first. Okay, so this is like a... Jeez, um, how do you even describe this thing? It's like a bidding... A bidding, bluffing game. So yeah. you set up... Um, you set up an adventurer yep. who has equipment. Yep. He has like six pieces of equipment, and everybody at the table is deciding whether or not they want to be the one who sends the adventurer in. I guess like if you want like yeah. like the patron yep. <laughs> or something. And everybody now takes picks up a monster card. The monsters are like randomly randomly drawn from yep. one to nine as a power level. Like one being a little goblin, nine being a dragon. Yeah, and they automatically do that much damage. So like a Dragon will do nine damage, a goblin will do one. Right. Now, you can either steal a piece of equipment from the adventurer and not put the monster into the dungeon, right. or you can put the monster into the dungeon. And then, if you feel that you can't beat the dungeon with the current equipment slash monster, monster pile, you say pass. And then, if everybody passes, the last person to pass is now needs to go into the dungeon. So right. you're in the simultaneous situation of trying to, like, Trying to like screw over the deck to make sure that if someone goes in, they die, but not screw it over so hard that to if where, you get forced to go if in, you, get forced to go you in, might have a chance. Yeah, you might have a chance. So you're like, you have to always balance if you want to like steal a piece of equipment that's really going to screw over the guy and then try to pass. Yeah. Or you want to like make sure that you can make the dungeon a little bit easier so that if you end up going in, you can beat it. And then you, there's the debate. You, you pick up a one-point goblin. Do I steal a really shitty piece of equipment or do I steal an amazing piece of equipment? And am, am I bluffing other people to think that it's, in fact, a dragon that I picked up yeah. that I'm going to hide with, you know? Exactly. Or do you put the goblin in the dungeon because you know that it's super easy to beat right. if you go in there? This is wonderful. The, the game takes, like, five minutes to play around, maybe ten if you're, like, taking your time. Yeah. It's very, very quick, bang, 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 and, it's, and like, surprisingly deep once yeah. you get a couple rounds in. Once you understand the, the whole bluffing situation of, like, if you how to fake someone out and, and right. get into it. So, yeah, that game was, like, fun enough that... Uh, we bought it right we, up. Yeah. We bought it, like, the next day. Yep. Um, King of New York. Yep. Uh, Didn't quite hit as hard. Had, had, like, a Yahtzee kind of mechanic. Yep. Um, so, basically, you're... Playing play, rampaging monsters play, who are kaiju, smashing New York. Giant kaiju. Right. And so you enter into Manhattan, and then, like, Manhattan is, like, basically the king of the mountain spot. You get, like, free bonus points while you're in Manhattan. Yeah. And then everybody can attack you into Manhattan, and then you can, like, flee into a borough, and then the other person becomes the king of the mountain. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, while you're in that king spot, everybody can attack you, and the core mechanic is you're throwing dice that have six different symbols, which is, like, smash a building, heal... Uh, attack. Get energy. Get energy. Heal up. Energy is a currency yeah. that you can use to buy cards to like mutate yourself. Mutate yourself and like rig your dice. Right. Or whatever. And it, it. Here's my big problem yeah. with King of New York. It, it, the game itself is pretty delightful. Uh, I had a lot of fun playing it. It felt like the play was a little almost too long. Like I don't know if like 20 points is like too high. Yeah. 
And I mean, but I mean, at the same time, we're also on a huge, massive convention floor with like all that stuff. It might be a little bit easier, like just sitting around yeah. uh, up at the Lech Manor or something. But for me, the at least the price tag that they had associated with how it much was, was it? Fifty American dollars. And there were a lot of nice little standees yeah, and whatever. Yeah, exactly. Good. The the design and whatever. I'm like, I'm not saying that like it's. You're getting fifty dollars worth of like cardboard bits and counters and dice. Like I'm right. not like I'm not. It's not a component cost. It's a gameplay cost. Right. Where I'm like, it is a relatively like simple game that I'm paying. I guess what the seventy five with, with the extra tax. Yeah, seventy five exactly. bucks. Yeah, yeah. seventy five bucks for it. Yeah. And I'm like, you're not like if I'm looking at a game that like runs in that like fifty to seventy dollar range. I'm looking for like a deep engaging complex game yeah. and this is like funsies with dice right for that price tag which you know I, I'm, not, I'm not quite as harsh on this one as you are like I, I, I definitely get that like we didn't have the best time while we were playing although we did have a pretty good time yeah um, but I think I think on like an extra play or two we would get a little more engaged into stuff because there was strategy but we didn't really sort it out until we were like halfway through that game yeah but yeah 75 bucks is a bit steep for <laughs> exactly that's what I'm saying yeah. I, I, I just like I would I'd be fine with that game at like a bit thirty to forty-five American. Like exactly yeah. that's it. Yeah. So like maybe like coming up at like fifty bucks after tax Canadian. I'd be right. like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Okay, this is a, this is a thing that I can handle. Like, but yeah, at at a seventy-five dollar price point, I'm like, it's not a deep or rich game. And I mean, and I, I agree with you that there is some strategy going yeah. on. Yeah. But on the flip side of it, I think a lot of that strategy ends up getting like torched by bad dice rolls. Sure. Oh, yeah, like, that, that happened a bunch of times. Where, like, I, I had, like, two turns, I think, where yeah. I, my, I was able to do literally nothing because I yeah. just rolled badly. So I, mean, I just, there was no effect of my character in the game. Which which happened the next night when we played the Bravest Warriors game. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Bravest Warriors dice game. Which was, was, which was really fun. Super fun, and, like, in a similar situation, has, like, rolling dice and locking dice into position yeah. to try to, like, get past your encounter. And I was playing Danny, and I literally... I got two points in a game that we played up to 20 points, and I got, like, those two points in the last last (laughs) round, and I just couldn't do anything. Vasquez was just garbage. Yeah. Um, So what else? Any any video games? I would say the thing that stuck out for me, I don't, and I feel real bad. We talked about this before recording the podcast. Not necessarily not recording the game, but we didn't play that many video games. We played, like, the Tron game. We played a running game. You played that weird little dungeon mappity game? Oh, yeah, it was kind of cute. Uh, so, like, placing, you're building the dungeon and then running an adventure around through it. It was yeah, kind of exactly. good. Yeah, exactly, and you're trying to, like, I guess... I think we didn't spend enough time on the floor, honestly. Like, we had, a, like, a taste of everything. If we had gone back and spent another two hours or three hours on the floor and, like, stuck yeah. around stuff that we were interested in, yeah. we would probably have better stuff to say here. But my my takeaway, yeah. at least from, from the floor at PAX South, was that uh, we have a, like, it was a lot of, like, Fun little indie games yeah. seem to be the big theme on the floor. Yeah, like, that's a good take. Basically, there were like like multiple like multiple runner games. Yeah. There, there was one that uh, our new friend Mike yep. <laughs> was telling us about, uh, where it was like you build the level and then competitively run it. Yeah, and then like every, so, as as you play, every one of the players of, of which there's up to four put pieces of the map together in like a two D side scroller dungeon. Yeah, exactly. Thing. And then everybody has to go through the dungeon. So you're trying to make it hard, but also not hard, so you can get through. Yeah, exactly. Which yeah. I'm like, I'm saying that that game, Good I mechanic, feel yep. cool, super cool mechanic. And I was just like thinking about it as he was describing it. You could be like, if you want to like, it's a runner game basically, right? Where if you could like chain up like a hard little jump system that you know you could do. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. you'd be like, oh, like suck a dick, and everyone would be like, God damn it, Keith, you made that little like triple jump that only you can handle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not to say only, but it's like yeah, you yeah. can do it definitely, and then everyone else could like that be, and then 
if you made it through, you'd get to like possibly set up a little section of a thing that you were good at. Right, right. You know, which I think would be super fun. But yeah, little fun mini indie games, which I think uh, is super cool. I actually made the comment on the floor yeah. where I was saying that like <laughs> Namco owned the copyright on having mini games during loading screens. Yeah. And apparently that just like defaulted, I think, either last year or this year. Yep. So a lot of these games, when I see them, I was like, how badass would it be if you could just automatically flip into that game while you're like matchmaking in league right you know or just like a fun little four player runner thing that like it doesn't really matter if oh fifth player joined and now we're into the game and like who cares but like yeah. you just, everybody could just like, sit around goofing around with these like games that have like a minute or so play time right like I don't know I think that'd be super cool and I feel that someone should get on that okay internet make it happen <laughs> make it internet like make it happen like yeah. when you're in matchmaking lobbies for online games yeah let us play little smaller games so you can game while you game um, what else do we have Anything to say? Anything else? I don't know. San Antonio as a city yep. was wonderful. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's this, um, uh, if you've never been here, it's like a desert town, but there's a river that runs through Man-made the downtown. River. Man-made river. That um, has just like racks and racks of restaurants along yep. the sides of the river. And, and there's, it, when we say a river, like there's not even a, a railing or anything. Yeah, no, it's, it's like... super charming. Like, and, just... and it's also lowered, so the street level is, abo- is above. It's like yeah. a full story above, yeah. and then... The river is down, so it's kind of like sheltered. And we were at—I guess we went to six restaurants yeah. while we were here, maybe yeah, something yeah. like the five. And um, I think on the whole, probably four out of five were excellent. So yeah, this was good. like, as, as far as like a place to go and relax, this town is lovely. Oh, how okay. do we not even talk about the fucking uh, Alamo Draft House? Also, hang on. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just gonna throw out on this delightful little river walk. Yeah, totally. Uh, you can just carry around alcohol because apparently yeah, it, falls, yeah. it falls into a public park. I seem to recall you making eye contact with a cop while drinking a beer. Yeah, exactly. And, and feeling, feeling that pang of nervousness. Yeah, and then feeling. <laughs> Like a real big badass when yeah. he walked away. I was like, that's right, officer. I'm having a beer. Drinking a beer on the river walk. And yes, I guess we'll just close this off with how we started the weekend. Yeah. Which was we headed to the Alamo Draft House. Which, if you don't know what the Alamo Draft House is, it's a place that I designed in my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> because it's a it's a movie theater that has like movie theater style seats, but like very spaced out and kind of a uh, a little bar, I guess, in front of you. Halfway between a bench and a bar. Halfway yeah. between a bench and a bar. So you can silently order beer and food to your bench to your bench within the film by like kind of like writing it on a piece of paper and then just like putting it up and a guy will come in quietly and then like bring you a beer right. during the movie. And then even more so, even to make it even better, they don't just screen like current movies. They have like all these like different theme nights right. where they'll be like they're doing a, a Miyazaki festival. They play. They do uh, like sing along nights where they just like play music videos with stuff. Like they were doing like. Uh, they were advertising like one of the Adele songs, where they, like they give people paper plates so they can like dramatically throw the paper plates while they're singing <laughs> while they're singing along to Adele. And I mean, it worked. We out, saw Psycho. It worked out pretty great for us because we got to see uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho which on the is, big screen. On the big like, screen, who gets to see that anymore? It's fucking amazing. Yeah, exactly. A super, yeah. super like I guess it was, must have been the remaster. Like it was a super clean. Yeah, copy it was of very it. clean. Like uh, and then yeah, exactly. Seeing Psycho on a big screen. While a man could bring us beer and a burger, and tasty a, and, burgers, and a burger, yeah. I had a, a, a three cheese frittata, right? And whatever. And then there's also like a comic book shop in the entrance place. <laughs> oh yeah, that's the thing. When I say I had three cheese frittata, it's because they also serve brunch all day, right? Which is also a thing that I brunch at random times is a thing that I'm super into. So San Antonio, A plus. Yeah, exactly. Alamo Draft House. I would like you to expand into Montreal. Yeah. I mean, I contact guess, us. Call us. Call us. I guess what would you call it? Like, what would you call it? 
What is there like a the old Port Draft House or like the Mount Royal Draft House? That's nice. Mount Royal That's Draft House. Yeah. I think that'd be we could, we could do that. Yep. Anyway, uh, San Antonio. I guess. I mean, depending on the finances, would we'll do again. Right. I would, I would. I would consider coming to Pax out with the Canadian dollar rebounds. Real. Yeah. Real, we we kind of. This was like bad timing because of the dollar, but. You know, anyway, we booked it in September, and the dollar was, like, pretty bad. Yeah, it's bad now. And now it's real bad, and everything, we're at, like, a 70-cent situation right. for the dollar, and it's predicted to get worse. But, yeah, if we got if we got more at par, I'd come back for a PAX South, possibly. Absolutely. Maybe not next year, but, like, give it some time. Sure. PAX, San Antonio, I guess we love you? Yeah, we like you. Aw. We like you. Thanks, everybody. Why should you? Thanks for listening.